It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The little girl is three. She she fell pretty bad yesterday, and she's okay. been fine. And then all of a sudden, you dropped off this morning, and she walked in, kind of passed out, and she went limp. It was a brisk morning in Hanover Township, Ohio, in March of 2018, with temperatures dipping below zero degrees. Jason Weshey helped his three-year-old daughter, Hannah, pull on her coat before driving her over to the nearby babysitter's home. He kissed his daughter goodbye and continued on his way to work. Within a matter of minutes, however, he received a phone call from the babysitter, telling him he needed to turn back immediately. Hannah Weshi was born in 2015 in Hanover Township, southwestern Ohio, to parents Jason Weshi and Adrian Latham. She had a troublesome start to life, to say the very least. Adrian was addicted to heroin, and she continued to abuse the drug while pregnant, which meant that Hannah was born addicted. Shortly after her birth, Jason found himself a single parent after Adrian was sent to prison for drug trafficking. Hannah was a typical toddler. She was overly friendly, bubbly, and loved eating cereal and watching television with her father. To provide for his small family, Jason worked Mondays through to Fridays at a construction company. One of his colleagues suggested a babysitter, 35-year-old Lindsay Parton. It seemed to be the perfect match, especially because Parton lived in the same neighbourhood as Jason and Hannah, in the 4,000 block of Shank Road in Hanover Township. Parton had two children of her own, two daughters, and she babysat for another child. She had all the necessary credentials to care for Hannah, and had an associate's degree in pre-childhood education. Most days, Parton planned daily activities for the four girls, fed them, and even helped to potty train them. The first day that Hannah visited Parton's home, she proudly posted a photo of the little girl on social media, along with the caption, Welcome, sweet Hannah. The 8th of March 2018 started out like any regular day, for the Weshi family. Jason was running late for work that morning, so he quickly got ready and then quickly got Hannah ready as well. At 6.52am, he helped Hannah put on her coat and shoes and then he texted Parton to let her know that they would be over momentarily. Since it was only a short distance, 
Jason sometimes drove with Hannah on his lap. But on this occasion, she asked if she could lie down in the back seat. The father and daughter duo pulled up alongside Parton's home, and she came out to meet them. Hannah hugged and kissed her father before entering the home with Parton, ready to begin her day. Jason climbed back into his car and continued on his journey to the construction site. Around a minute later, however, he received a phone call to his cell phone. It was Lindsay Parton. She told Jason that he needed to return immediately, that Hannah had randomly passed out and she couldn't wake her up. Jason said that he would be there momentarily and asked Parton to call 911. She did, and in the phone call, she claimed that Hannah had fallen over at her house the day beforehand. I babysit kids. Yeah. And he just dropped her off, and um, all of a sudden she just passed out. Who's passed out? The little girl, she's three. She, she fell pretty bad yesterday, and she's okay. been fine. And then all of a sudden he dropped her off this morning, and she walked in, and she just kind of passed out, and she went limp. Okay. I don't know. Are you with her now? Yes, and so is her dad. I called her. Yes, hurry, she's bad. There's something wrong. Okay. Is she awake right now? Yes. No, 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 stay on the line with me. I have to ask you a few questions while my partner gets the medics dispatched. Okay, is she breathing? Yes, in and out. Okay. Yes, in and out. I don't know what's wrong. Okay, is her breathing completely normal? Oh, yes, almost gone. Hurry, please. Okay, they're on the way right now. I'm just asking you a few questions So while they're on the way. Better lay down. I think it's better. I don't know what's better. Okay, lay her down on her back. Lay her down on her back and let her head okay, tilt back. Okay. And she's still unconscious, correct? Yes. Okay. No, she's not unconscious. She, she, her eyes are open and she's like gasping for air. I cannot believe this is happening. She fell really bad yesterday when we were playing okay. here in the garage. And she has a bruise on her face and on her chin and I thought she was fine and she was up and Okay. I, I want you to stay I want you to stay right with her and make sure her head is carefully tilted back and yeah, check her breathing right. often. Sir, I just had a robe on. And I'm trying to throw clothes on really quick. That's good. That's okay. Midway through the phone call, Jason arrived at Parton's home. Hey, what's the matter? Fucking shock or something. I don't know what the fuck could be wrong with her. I don't either. She's a fine. Who just walked in the house? She got up, brushed her teeth. I don't know. Lindsay, it's okay. They're on the way. Okay, baby. Hannah. Hey. Hannah, wake up. Hannah, there you go. There you go, baby. Okay, is she still laying on her back? Yes, yes. Okay, and is her head still tilted back? Yeah. Okay. No, I know. All of a sudden, I was like, Hannah, are you okay? Just get up, girl. And she just laid there, and I got it, and she's like, went. Hannah. Well, she got a Yeah, she did on that okay. toy right there. First responders descended on the scene. After they pulled up outside, Parton ushered them inside and into the living room where Hannah was laying motionless on the couch. EMT and firefighter Evan Reedy observed that she had laboured breathing. He described her breathing like a sniffling, shallow and irregular. He also observed that there were a lot of bruises to her face and head as well as to her chest. He noticed that there was a cut on her as well, and the bruises were all in various stages of healing. Hannah's eyes were open, but they were moving without purpose. Hannah was placed onto a stretcher, and with sirens blazing, they sped off to Fort Hamilton's emergency room. Dr. Anne Nugent was on duty. She immediately noticed that Hannah was sick and toxic, 
and needed immediate treatment. She was not able to breathe on her own, so he placed a tube down her throat to help her breathe, and then arranged for her to be airlifted to Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center, who were much more prepared to deal with such a severe situation. Here, doctors discovered that Hannah had suffered a traumatic brain injury. They also discovered that she had additional bruising to her body, hemorrhages in both eyes, and a CT scan revealed that she had a large subdural hemorrhage. The hemorrhage was causing the midline of her brain to shift over to one side of her skull. Hannah was transported to intensive care where she underwent surgery to remove part of her skull to relieve the swelling on her brain. But it did very little, and Hannah was declared brain dead. Hannah's family were distraught beyond consolation. They all rallied around their little girl, lying motionless in the hospital bed. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Staff at the hospital warned her family that she was unlikely to survive. Her aunt... Megan Latham stated, I think she fought the best that she could, which is all we can ask for. I think God just has a better plan for her, and I know she's in a better place and she's not suffering. Based on the injuries that have been inflicted on Hannah, doctors and investigators alike suspected that they were non-accidental, that she had been the victim of some kind of targeted attack. Multiple doctors said that the injuries including the hemorrhage, was caused by some kind of trauma and that her injuries were not consistent with a fall. With her injuries, they deduced that Hannah would not have been able to be walking or able to breathe on her own as soon as these injuries were inflicted. But Hannah seemed fine that morning when she was dropped over at Parton's home. And both Parton and Jason said this. Investigators immediately turned their attention to Lindsay Parton. She was brought over to police headquarters to be interviewed, and she vehemently denied that she had done anything. She said that she had seen Hannah come to her home before with bruises on her face. This is going on. I, I don't understand. Have you seen her come to the house with bruises on her face? Yeah, before... The accident yesterday. Yes. So she had bruises on her face this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where? Before she saw the train. Like when I was like right here, and then she had one on her chin. Was one on the chin from when she fell in the Those that got worse. There was there was one on her chin before that, and then when she fell in the gravel. Like, so there's bruises. Before yeah, it got worse. But yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. I'm completely, honestly, telling the truth, and I would never lie. I don't. I'm no one lie to anybody and yeah. I really I'm honestly in shock. I don't it was literally 30 seconds to a minute him dropping her off and us walking in the house and she collapsed. I hadn't even shut the door behind me yet. She said that when Jason dropped Hannah off that morning she seemed perfectly fine. She said that she had asked for a donut before collapsing to the ground. Parton stated, I swear on my daughter's life. She walked into the house and nothing was wrong. I would never hurt a kid in my life. Investigators momentarily paused the interrogation and left the room. When they did, Parton could be heard alone in the interrogation room whispering, I'm going to prison for the rest of my life. When investigators returned, she claimed that while caring for Hannah the previous day, she had fallen and struck her head on the concrete garage floor. She also said that the day before this, Hannah had fallen onto the floor from a toy train. And she has been complaining of headaches the past couple weeks. (laughs) 
And to me, since I've known her, her balance and stability has always been off. She's not... She's uncoordinated. Yeah, well, I feel like her legs have always been kind of, I don't know, like how that was that, I don't know how to make that sound the way I want it to sound. I don't know, she's just, I don't know how she's... She's not coordinated. She's not coordinated. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, dance. She's so cute. Yeah. So the I didn't actually see the train. I haven't seen the train. How tall is the train? Uh, about that high off the ground. She was standing up on it. Yeah. Doing the serpent thing. Yeah. And it went out from the side and she went down like that. With, I mean, her arms back. Yeah. Yeah. And then smacked. Smacked so the right side of the train. And I freaked out. Ran out there. I'm like, are you okay? She jumped back up and I, she said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, let's go put eyes on her. Let's sit down the car. What was she complaining Okay. Investigators were suspicious, but with little other evidence, they couldn't hold Parton and she was allowed to go. The following day, investigators followed up with Parton once more and they conducted another interview. This time, investigators were armed with photographs depicting the plethora of bruises to Hannah's head, face and body. They asked Parton how these bruises came to be. She finally conceded, somewhat, and claimed that on the morning that Hannah was dropped over, she had fallen at the entry door between the house and garage and had hit her head on a concrete step. She said that Hannah got up, asked for a donut, and then fell. So if you believe that it's instant, you're agreeing that, okay, she fell because she got hit. Something happened. Something caused. Look, something caused this. Okay, in her head, she fell because of that. All right. What caused that? What accident caused this? She fell on the door and hit the concrete step. When? Thursday morning. Walking into the walking yeah. out the house. Yes. Tell us about. Take us through details. I opened up the door, she was coming through, and she slipped on that concrete step in the metal part. She hit the metal part on her eye. Which door? Which the one, door yeah, the yeah which one into the house, the carpet. And so I got her back up, and she stood up and looked up at me and did say, I want donut and couch, and then collapsed. We appreciate you being honest. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's an accident. You call for help. It's not your fault, but here's the thing. You've gone through every single one of these injuries and you had no problems telling us about these. Okay? And even the injury, even the even the injury that, that you were thinking uh, put her in the situation she was in, you told us about that, no problem. What's the difference? What's the difference in this injury? And the one, you were there for both of them. If you thought this one put her in the hospital, I didn't why not let you that? I didn't, I thought Wednesday did, because she's not yeah, you, 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 you owned this one. You yeah. said this one had to be in the Okay? You why called for help. Why lie about this one, about, about her falling? Because I thought it was my fault, and I thought she was having a seizure, and I didn't want Jason to be mad at me. She Investigators said to Parton that such a fall would not have caused the injuries, so once again, Lindsay Parton changed her story. She said that she had been carrying Hannah in her arms when she fell, causing Hannah to hit her head on the metal part of the concrete step. Once again, investigators said that this did not correlate with the injuries inflicted on Hannah. Parton then claimed that after the fall, Hannah was crying for her father, so she shook her. She described how Hannah's head was snapping around, and then said that she may have dropped Hannah as well. Investigators still weren't buying the story, so they pushed for more information. Parton then modified the story once more, and admitted to shaking Hannah before the fall. She said that Hannah didn't want her father to leave that morning, and she shook her to try and get her to stop crying. She admitted to shaking Hannah until she stopped crying, and stated, It was awful. I didn't mean to hurt her. I love her. 
but still didn't explain the cluster of bruise dotted all across Hannah. Parton had a disturbing explanation for this. She admitted to slapping and punching Hannah a couple of times on the chin with a closed fist a couple of days before she fell unconscious. She explained that she had been under tremendous pressure after suffering a miscarriage back in February and when Hannah grabbed a bottle of ketchup and squirted it down the toilet, she was furious. As for the bruises to Hannah's chest, Parton suggested that they came when she aggressively poked her to discipline her. Investigators were now satisfied with the confession, and they left the room momentarily. When they returned, Parton said, I just want to go home. I won't go anywhere. Parton wasn't going anywhere other than jail. She was immediately arrested and charged with felonious assault and felony child endangering. Investigators then executed a search warrant of her cell phone and discovered that she must have been concerned about the bruising to Hannah. On the 7th of March, at 8.48am, she had googled how to get rid of a bruise. She then deleted the search term. A couple of hours later, she googled what essential oil is good for bruises, followed by is Rub good for bruises. Then at 9.18pm, she googled how to get rid of a bruise and once more she deleted the search term. I'd love to take a second to tell you about my newest true crime binge, Invisible Hit. This podcast truly sets itself apart from all the other true crime shows that are currently out there. It focuses on hate crimes that are perpetrated against minority communities. Each week on Invisible Hate, the hosts cover a new true crime case wherein the perpetrator is motivated by race, religion, or sexual orientation. They dive deep into the cases, leaving no stone unturned, and then debate at the end whether the case should be categorized as a hate crime. The most recent episode of Invisible Hate was on the tragic case of Sandeep Dalival, who was the first member of the Sikh community to be hired as a detective at the Harris County Sheriff's Office. You can listen to Invisible Hate across all podcast platforms, and trust me, it's going to become a show that you'll hate to love. A couple of days after the charges were handed down, Parton appeared in a butler courtroom in Hamilton, where she pleaded not guilty to the charges. She was ordered to be held on $30,000 bond. Jason was in attendance for the brief court hearing, and he commented, We just want to stress that this situation is devastating. She is not expected to survive. Within the next couple of days, we are told that it's going to come to an end. That afternoon, Parton posted the cash bond and she was released from custody. Following her release, Sheriff Richard Jones stated, This little girl is hanging on by a thread. Cases like this rip your heart out. I don't understand why or how anyone harms a child. He also encouraged parents across the nation to make sure they know who is being entrusted to care for their children. He said, Get background checks. Talk to neighbours, friends and family members before letting anyone watch your children. Know who you're leaving your babies with. His comments were echoed by some people on social media who pointed the finger at Jason for leaving his daughter in the care of Parton. However, Jason knew Lindsay Parton. He knew that she was a babysitter who cared for other children, and she had children of her own. Moreover, Parton didn't have a criminal record, and she had all the necessary credentials to care for a child. There's absolutely nothing in Parton's past or present to indicate that she was capable of such violence, or indicate that Hannah would not be safe in her care. Parton had been babysitting Hannah since July of 2017, and while she had returned from her home with bruises over the preceding months, Jason said he believed that they were just regular bruises that all children are prone to when playing. Moreover, Hannah had never expressed any concern about being left with Parton, and when Jason dropped her off each morning, 
she would run to Parton with open arms, hugging her. Jason recollected. She was the perfect babysitter, on paper. Things weren't looking positive for Hannah, and her family knew that she most likely wasn't going to survive. Jason set up a GoFundMe in anticipation of her death. The donation page poignantly read, Raising Hannah and watching her blossom into a bubbly, fun-loving little girl has been more than I could ever ask for. I am beyond devastated that I am having to say goodbye to my angel. This is every parent's worst nightmare, and I will fight for my baby, and justice will be served. We're raising money for baby Hannah in hopes to give her the best service we can provide. Myself and family all appreciate the abundance of love and support we are receiving throughout this process. On the 14th of March, a grand jury indicted Parton on charges of felonious assault and felony child endangering. As Parton remained out on bond, Hannah's loved one stayed by her bedside in hospital, hoping for a miracle. Hannah held on for one week, but tragically, at 12.15am on the 18th of March, she was pronounced dead. Jason provided a poignant statement which read, All I can really say at this point is that our family is completely devastated. There are really no words for what we are going through right now. We are asking for privacy for the services. But we hope everybody will stick with us through the trial and help bring Hannah justice. Prosecutor Moser announced that with Hannah's death he would be asking a grand jury to consider a murder charge against Parton. Just the following week, a grand jury indicted Parton on charges of murder, involuntary manslaughter and felony child endangering. Despite the elevated charges, the judge indicated that he would not be increasing bond, which meant that a summons was issued to Parton rather than a warrant for her arrest. She was scheduled to be back in court for a pre-trial hearing on the 9th of April. When the 9th rolled around, there was a confrontation between Parton's family and Hannah's family outside the courthouse that needed to be diffused by Parton's defence attorney. Emotions were running high as everybody was shuffled into the courtroom. Hannah's loved ones were all wearing custom-made t-shirts which read, God's Angel Forever Three. When the new charges were announced, defence attorney Melinda Cook-Howard entered a not-guilty plea on behalf of Parton. Judge Greg Stevens continued the bond he had originally set, and as Parton was escorted out of the courtroom, somebody from the public gallery shouted, A murderer just got out on bail. Following the hearing, Jason had some comments about the judge's decision. He stated, I don't know why a judge doesn't want a bigger bond for a murder case. It just doesn't make sense. I thought maybe something would change. In June, the judge set Parton's trial date for October in Hamilton, which was around 25 miles north of Cincinnati. However, the trial was then pushed back to December. By November, the trial date was fast approaching and Parton's defence team requested a continuance. Defence attorney Chris Pagan stated, This is a medical opinion case. He argued that they needed more time to consult with experts about the timing of Hannah's head injuries. Their motion was granted, which meant that the trial was pushed back even further. On the 1st of April 2019, the trial was ready to begin. During opening statements, prosecutor Lindsay Sheehan told the jury that evidence presented showed the pardon had caused the injuries to Hannah. She said that Parton had given multiple conflicting statements to investigators before admitting to uppercutting Hannah multiple times and poking her on the chest on the 6th of March. She had then admitted to shaking her the morning she fell unconscious. Defence attorney Melinda Cook-Howard told the jury during her opening statements that Parton didn't injure Hannah 
and said that she was only with her for between 30 seconds to one minute that morning. She claimed that on the morning Hannah arrived, Jason had brought her over with a blanket over her head and her hood pulled up. She stated, 30 seconds later, the child collapsed. She echoed what Parton had earlier told investigators, how on the 6th of March, Hannah and some other children she was caring for were playing outside when Hannah face-planted the ground. She then said that the following day, Hannah was standing on a toy train when she fell and hit the garage floor. Defence attorney Cook Howard stated, Lindsay Parton had told her father that Hannah fell pretty hard and he may want to take her to urgent care. She went on to reveal that the night before Hannah fell unconscious, Jason had told investigators that she wasn't playing at home like she normally would most evenings. The first witness to testify was EMT and firefighter Evan Reedy. He told the courtroom how he wanted to get Hannah out of the home as quickly as possible because he felt that she was unsafe in that environment. He described how Jason was hovering over his daughter and nudging her. Under cross-examination by defence attorney Chris Pagan, he pointed out how when Evan was first of all questioned, he said that Jason wasn't nudging her, but was shaking her in a bid to wake her up. Early on in the trial, it became apparent that the prosecution and defence were offering polarising opinions as to how Hannah received her injuries. Dr. Michael Yang had examined Hannah a few days after she was brought into hospital. He said that it was his opinion that her injuries were caused by non-accidental head trauma caused by violent shaking. He had discovered that Hannah's eyes were extremely hemorrhaged. Hemorrhages were present in all three layers of the eyes and he said that this kind of condition was most consistent with abusive head trauma and severe brain injury. Under cross-examination, defence attorney Pagan pointed out that other doctors didn't have the same opinion. He also pointed out that shaking was not mentioned as a mechanism of injury in his written report. According to defence Pagan, a defence expert believed that the injuries were caused by a blow to the back of Hannah's head, which was uncovered during autopsy when Hannah's head was shaved, revealing a large raised bruise. The prosecution and defence then consulted with the judge and the judge asked the jury to disregard Dr Yang's testimony regarding the shaking. His testimony was followed by Dr Dorothy Dean, who had performed the autopsy. She described how Hannah had suffered deep bruising to the back of the head, some of which was only revealed when her skin was peeled away from her skull. She also said that she had found hemorrhage to the optic nerve and tremendous brain damage. She stated, Hannah died of traumatic brain injury due to blunt impact to the head. She determined that Hannah's manner of death was homicide and that she would not have been able to walk, talk or act in a normal fashion just moments after receiving the injury. Dr. Kathy McCorriff, a paediatrician from Cincinnati Children's Hospital, agreed with the pathologist's findings. She stated, She suffered from child abuse and suffered abusive head trauma. When she was cross-examined, Defence Pagan pointed out that according to Hannah's medical records, she suffered from hepatitis C, and one of the symptoms of the disease is bruising easily. Testimony then shifted to the accidents Parton claimed Hannah had in the lead-up to her death. Prosecutors brought out the train that Hannah had allegedly fallen from. It was eight inches tall. The jury then got to see Parton's interrogation videos. In the first, she denied any knowledge of Hannah's injuries, before finally admitting that she had hit and slapped her after she squirted tomato ketchup down the toilet. The defence then called on Dr Werner Spitz. Dr Spitz has quite a controversial background when it comes to testimony at trial. He was a defence witness in the 2011 Casey Anthony trial and was a defence witness in the Warren County trials of Ryan Widmer, who was convicted of the murder of his wife, Sarah. 
Dr Spitz was now 92 years old and he couldn't travel to attend the trial. So prosecutors and defence travelled to Michigan to depose him. Dr Spitz spoke on the testimony regarding Hannah's injuries, pointing to the comments that she would not have been able to act normal almost as soon as they were inflicted. He suggested that she could have had a lucid interval. After the injury which he suggested was caused when her skull came into contact with a hard surface. He had been paid $4,000 for his testimony. Based on the defence's opening statements, it was apparent that they were trying to suggest that Jason could have somehow been involved in his own daughter's death, despite the fact that Parton had admitted to abusing her on multiple occasions, including the very morning she fell unconscious. The courtroom fell deathly silent as Jason was called to the witness stand on the second week of the trial. He recalled the moment he returned to Parton's home to find his daughter struggling to breathe. She was kind of gasping for air. She wasn't really breathing. Um, I kept telling her to breathe. And when I'd tell her to breathe, she'd take a breath and then let it out slow. During cross-examination, defense attorney Cook Howard asked Jason whether he had milk or cereal in the refrigerator or shelves at home. Jason said no, but back when he was first interviewed, He had told investigators that after he picked Hannah up from Parton on the evening of the 7th of March, they stopped by Walmart to purchase some cereal and milk. He said that the following morning, Hannah was acting normal. She ate cereal and then they left to drop her off at Parton's home. Defence attorney Cook Howard said that no milk or cereal was discovered in his home and he wasn't spotted on Walmart surveillance footage. She said to Jason, So you lied when you said you and Hannah went to Walmart to get milk. Jason admitted that he had, before adding that he was under an awful amount of stress and thought that they'd gone to Walmart the previous evening. Defence attorney Cook Howard then pointed out that Jason was behind on rent and babysitting money that he owed to Parton. He had also just gotten in trouble at work which was a construction company owned by Parton's boyfriend's family. She stated, You knew you were on a short leash. She then suggested that Hannah was injured before she went to Parton's home that morning. Jason had been running late for work and defence attorney Cook Howard suggested that Jason had not strapped Hannah into her car seat. And when he sped out of the driveway, she fell and injured herself. Jason admitted that he had provided investigators with some inconsistent statements. He stated, I was confused. I was concerned about my daughter and telling my other children she was going to die. The defence team then presented photographs showing the apartment where Jason and Hannah lived. It was unkempt. Hannah slept on a mattress and they said that every surface in the home was covered with clothes, toys and uneaten food. According to the defence team, Jason should have been the one on trial, not Parton. The most highly anticipated moment of the trial came when Lindsay Parton took to the witness stand to defend herself. She described the morning Hannah fell unconscious, describing how she took her hand and walked her from the garage into the home. She recalled how after she closed the door behind them, Hannah said, donut and couch before collapsing to the ground. She said that she was trying to assess the situation and wake Hannah up before calling Jason. I immediately panicked. I didn't know what was happening. What did you do? Trying to assess the situation. Hannah talked to me, what's going on. Um, I thought maybe she was having a seizure. I coached cheerleading, so I've taken CPR, rolled her on her side, tried to remember how to do the seizure in the mouth thing, um, assess the situation just for a few seconds, trying to figure out if she would stand up or if she would be able to, you know, talk to me. And where's Vivian at this time? Standing right there. And then what do you do? I call Jason. Okay. And do you know what time you call Jason? <laughs> I'd have to look at my... Records the phone records say what time you called him. Yes. No doubt. No doubt. 
You called him, and then what happened? It rang twice and went to voicemail. And then what? Did you leave a voicemail? No, I just hung up. I was going to give it a few seconds. I was checking on her. I was kneeling next to her. I was on my knees next to her. Okay. And then what happened? Um, he called me back. Parton then spoke about the comments she had made to investigators, wherein she admitted to slapping and pinching Hannah. She said that these were lies, and she only said them because she felt as though she was being bullied by investigators. She stated, They didn't listen to what I had to say. I just agreed with them, told them what they wanted to hear. She revealed that during the interrogation, before Hannah had even died, investigators had lied to her and said that Hannah was dead. You heard Sergeant Whitlock tell you that Hannah was dead on March 8th? I did. How did that make you feel? Well, I didn't know he was lying at the time, but I was devastated. I felt like I was going to throw up. I loved her very much. Hurt. And when did you learn that she had not died on March 8th? Um, Not until I was leaving the police station when TJ and I talked about going down to the hospital. She also said that investigators had told her that it was either her or Jason who had harmed Hannah. Defense attorney Cook Howard then asked Parton why she didn't throw Jason to the wolves. She responded by saying that she protected everybody, adding, I care about him. He's my friend. I care about his daughters. I didn't want anyone to get in trouble. She contended that she never hurt Hannah, but stuck to her original story, that Hannah had fallen twice in the days leading up to the incident. The crux of the case really boiled down to whether the jury believed that Parton's confession was true, or whether they believed that her testimony was true. Numerous experts had testified that the injuries could not have come from a fall, that Hannah must have been hit. One of them even said that the injuries inflicted on Hannah would not have come even if she fell from a second-story window. During closing arguments, prosecutors reminded the jury that Parton had told numerous stories of what had happened to Hannah on the morning she collapsed. And the state would submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that none of these other explanations are reasonable in light of the evidence before you. So you're left with one reasonable explanation for Hannah's injuries on March 6th, 7th, and 8th, including that fatal fatal injury to three-year-old, 32-pound, three-foot-tall Hannah Weshi. And that explanation, ladies and gentlemen, is Lizzie Parton sitting right there. And you heard denial after denial, but that truth finally came out. Defense attorney Cook Howard countered this. Lindsay Parton is innocent. I will tell you she's guilty of being stupid. Really stupid. And trusting. But that's not finding her guilty of this criminal offense. These heinous criminal offenses. Because that's what they're saying she did. She said that investigators had bullied Parton into a confession. And after they got one, they proceeded to investigate no further. She stated, They did what they don't even do on Scooby-Doo. The jury were then sent off to deliberate. They failed to reach a verdict on the first day and then returned the following morning. This day, they ultimately reached a verdict and they found Lindsay Parton guilty on all charges, including murder. Outside of court, Jason was asked how he felt about the verdict. He responded, Relief. A wave of emotion. I can't even explain it. Just ecstatic. Guilty on all charges. I could not have asked for anything more. He then added that nothing would bring Hannah back and said he hoped that Parton would be sentenced to life in prison. Butler County Sheriff's Detective Dan Turner also provided some comments. He was the lead investigator on the case and said that the verdict had made him swell up with emotion. He stated, This is what it was all about. We had a lot invested in this. It's about Hannah. The sentencing phase followed the next month. By law, Parton could only be sentenced for some of the charges. 
she would be facing a mandatory sentence of life in prison with the possibility of parole after 15 years for the murder charge. She could also be sentenced to an additional three years for the child endangerment charges. Everybody shuffled back into court the following month and victim impact statements were presented. Her mother Adrian spoke publicly for the very first time, telling the courtroom, My brave daughter, gone, and I will always miss Hannah Jade with every fibre of my being. Jason was the next to speak. He stared directly at Parton as he said, I hope and pray every single day that you get the same treatment in jail that you showed my daughter. Parton was also given the opportunity to provide a statement, but she turned the offer down. Instead, a friend and cousin spoke on her behalf. They both said they believed that she was innocent. Andrea Corey stated, Lindsay stood next to me as I got married, and I stood next to her. She went on to state that as a child, Parton was a cheerleader, a Girl Scout, and a friend. She then added, She is not capable of this. Lindsay Parton was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 18 years. It was the maximum sentence that could be imposed. Parton's defence team announced that they would be filing an appeal, and in October, they did. In their 20-page appeal motion, they outlined a number of alleged legal errors, including the Parton's case was prejudiced. When the prosecutors failed to disclose some facts in the case, and that she received constitutionally ineffective assistance of counsel. Appellate attorney Neil Shute said that the state should have disclosed the fact that Jason had a friend staying overnight at the home on the 7th of March, and that he had lied to investigators about going to Walmart. He also argued the counsel was ineffective by not filing a motion to suppress Parton's interrogation statements, and that they failed to object or ask for a continuance when counsel were surprised by indisclosed information concerning Jason's lies about Walmart. He stated, Reviewing the entire record, weighing all of the evidence and all reasonable inferences, and considering the credibility of witnesses, leads to the finding that the jury lost its way, and the convictions must be overturned. The state argued in a response filed, that the testimony from experts and confessions from Parton supported her convictions. Their response read in part, Regarding the morning of March 8, 2018, Parton was frustrated with Hannah for whining about her father. Appellant then shook Hannah for five seconds until she stopped whining. Appellant stated that she and Hannah did actually fall. After the fall, Appellant noticed Hannah was unconscious. Appellant then shook Hannah again and shook Hannah hard. The appeals court hearing was scheduled for April of 2020, but then it was postponed due to coronavirus. In April of 2021, the hearing was held, but Parton was not present. Both the prosecution and defence filed their briefs and then were allowed 15 minutes to present their arguments before the judges. The 12th District Court of Appeals ultimately denied the appeal, instead opting to uphold Parton's convictions. In a decision written by Judge Robert Ringland, the appeals court found that the state had submitted sufficient evidence to convict and that Parton's conviction was supported by manifest weight of the evidence. They noted that both she and Jason had agreed that Hannah was acting normal upon drop-off and that Parton had admitted to shaking, squeezing and dropping Hannah. They further found that the medical evidence indicated that Hannah's injuries would have rendered her unresponsive. Lindsay Parton currently remains incarcerated at Dayton Correctional Institution, where she continues to staunchly profess her innocence. In September of 2022, she spoke with the newspaper, Metro, and claimed that she was led into the confession. She stated, They promised me that they would not separate me from my babies, but they were ripped from my arms and taken into another room. The article mentioned how at the time of Hannah's death, Parton was living with her long-term boyfriend, Timothy J. Smith, also known as TJ. While Parton's family have all rallied around her, 
TJ cut off all contact. On the morning of the incident, TJ was at Lindsay Parton's home. Since then, TJ had pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of assault in a separate case. This was after he was charged with the rape of a 10-year-old girl. In the article, Parton shared her belief that Jason was responsible for Hannah's death. But in a bid to prove his innocence, Jason has taken numerous polygraph examinations, all of which he has passed. He too spoke with Metro and said that the case against Parton was a slam-dunk case. He stated, The babysitter slammed her onto the concrete floor in the garage and she flat out said what happened to the police. I will never forgive her. I am an eye for an eye kind of guy. I might not get revenge in this world, but I will in the next, and I will go to the depths of hell for that. I trusted Lindsay with my child, and she killed her. The grief never goes away, and I cope day by day. Yes, my house isn't clean, and I didn't have milk. But what does that have to do with anything? She admitted it to police. She needs to be in prison. She's exactly where she should be. I hope she spends the rest of her life there and never comes out. What truly happened to Hannah Weshi inside Lindsay Parton's home still remains something of a mystery. In the space of just one minute, something caused her to suffer a traumatic injury. A traumatic injury that ultimately cost her her life. Even today, the case remains quite polarised, with many believing Parton's professions of innocence. If that were to be true, then who, or what, caused the fatal injuries to Hannah? Well, besties, that is it for this episode of Morbidology. As always, thank you so, so much for listening. I'd like to say a big massive thank you to my newest Patreon supporters, Melanie and Chur Dub. If you'd like to support the show up on Patreon, the link is in the show notes. As you all know, Morbidology is a one-woman podcast, so the support up on Patreon seriously goes such a long way. And I really am eternally grateful for your support and love. As mentioned in other episodes, I've been doing a few in-video podcasts on stalking with crime and investigation. If you'd like to watch these, just head on over to YouTube and type in Emily G. Thompson, Unwanted Attention. Unfortunately, since it's a UK TV channel, these are only available to people in the UK. If you do check the video out, please leave some love in the hopes that they ask me to do some more. Remember to check us out at morbidology.com for more information about this episode and to read our true crime articles. Until next time, take care of yourselves, stay safe, and have an amazing week.